If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. I love the fact that I know my body really, really well, and the way that I've, I suppose, got body positivity is through fashion. Because obviously, not everything's gonna fit me, and I can't be in denial about that. Like, you know, I've got a curved spine, so I can't wear things with zips coming to terms with my body and my scars and my curved bones and my short stature, fashion made me fall in love with my body. Drop the euphemisms. Please, call me Disabled. A new podcast from me, Poppy Field. I know how complicated our relationship with disability can be. Since my childhood, I've had a roller coaster of experiences with my disabled identity. Living with chronic illness, chronic pain, neurodivergency, and in particular, inaccessibility. In this series, I'm chatting with various guests about their journey of coming to identify as disabled and all the amazing and difficult in-betweens that come with it. In this episode, I'm excited to have on Samantha Rank. Sam is an actress, presenter, and disability rights campaigner who made number three in the Short Trust Power 100 list of 2020, the UK's most influential list of disabled people. Sam's new book, You Are the Best Thing Since Sliced Bread, is published by Penguin Books, Happy Place in Print. She is a trustee of the Brittle Bone Society, the condition she also has herself, which is a rare genetic condition resulting in fragile bones which break easily. We first met at Graduate Fashion Week 2018 at a catwalk show whilst I was doing my fashion degree. We both have a huge love for accessible fashion. When I met her, I had just come into my disabled identity, and getting to know her was a huge breakthrough moment for me. Sam had an influence on my disabled identity, and I just knew that I had to have her on this podcast. I'm just going to start. I'm going to go right into it. Let's rewind. When did you first call yourself disabled? 
And what did that journey look like? Yeah, so I was actually born in Germany. My mum is German. My dad was British. They met when he was in the army and so forth. And my sister, older sister, is non-disabled. And I was a complete shock to my family. I was not diagnosed with my disability, which is osteogenesis imperfecta, brittle bones, until my birth. And as you can imagine, everyone had had their Debbie Downer pills, you know, it was like, oh, it's such a shame. And I think my mum described my birth as more of a bereavement than a celebration. Like, it really saddened me because she said, oh, people wouldn't even come and visit her in hospital because they didn't know what to say. Ugh! Angers me. You know, there was no eureka moment. I physically look different than my peers. I couldn't walk. I was in a pram. I had special alterations at home and so forth. So there was no like, oh, am I disabled? I always bloody knew and I always quite liked it. I always liked the fact that I got free stuff, that I got positive attention. Although at the time, you know, I obviously didn't realise that that kind of oh, bless her, was patronised. And I kind of just liked it because it meant that, you know, when I went to a car boot, people would give me, like, free toys. And I totally played up to my disability identity as a child. And I guess it's been my 30s that Mm. I've struggled more with finding my place in the world and um, understanding that my disability identity is something to be mocked or disregarded or dehumanized but I find there's this juxtaposition of being a disabled child and being spoiled and being the center of attention and being you know on children in need and all this kind of like oh isn't you know aren't they cute Mm -hmm. and let's give you this and let's turn you into inspiration porn and then my 20s was just like spent partying and in a absolute haze of been a real rebel and not really taking much notice of anyone outside of my my party friends. Mm-hmm. And how do you feel about your identity now? And now I'm like what I would call a adult and a cat mom, which I love, and someone who is very career orientated and someone who feels much more comfortable in my with my body and who I am in that respect and, and setting boundaries. Yet I feel the most vulnerable now and I feel the most scared now being in my 30s because Mm. and I think perhaps the pandemic was a triggering point for me because I saw the harshness of the world and I saw for the first time how people treated disabled people or get or didn't really give a shit about disabled people and I feel sometimes I've just I've been not given the right tools to cope with that and I'm I'm sure many disabled people can experience, you know, feel the same. I was put on a pedestal as a child. I was, you know, the centre of attention. I was, I had a codependent relationship. And then all of a sudden, when you try and improve your circumstance and you're like, you know, I want to be more independent. I want to take more responsibility for who I am and so, and so forth and go out and grab the world and the opportunities that are afforded to me and really try my hardest. It feels like it's a very isolating and lonely space to be. Because now all of a sudden you are definitely feeding into a, a narrative that is harmful. So you are either a drain on society, a burden to your friends or family. And I think that gets harder as you get older. You know, a lot of my friends now have children and other responsibilities. And this is not this is not an attack on anybody, but I need someone to help me physically get around. That gets harder and harder when you get older because people don't have the time to do mm-hmm. that. 
I met a friend recently. I've not seen him. For, he was one of my party friends. I've not seen him for a while. And at the time, I just, you know, not long had my power wheelchair. And the first thing they, he said to me was, oh, great, you're in that chair. That means I don't need to push your wheelchair, your other wheelchair, the manual one. And, you know, he said it kind of jokingly. But I thought that just encapsulates everything that I feel as a disabled person is that there's you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. And this is why I withdraw and don't actually always ask for my needs to be met because I, I am always made to feel, whether it's conscious or unconscious, like a burden. And I think that has really impacted on my disability identity. And that's what's chipped away at my identity over the years, you know, from that innate, confident little girl who really enjoyed being unique and really enjoyed the fact that she wasn't a sheep and that, you know, she got to go to hospital and have ice cream and jelly and faffing around her to over the years having family friends teachers chip away and and say how my disability not me my disability has impacted their life and um, that can be very very difficult to find you know to maintain that pride in your identity but of course I, I definitely transcribe to the social model of disability which says you know disability is a social construct and so forth and so on um and I think I can't change how people view me and my disability, but I'm going to let go of any feelings of being a burden. Yeah, I think that's actually so powerful because at the end of the day, like people are going to decide what they think about you and from a stereotype of disability that is not accurate, it's not your experience and you can't control that. And it's so painful to like realise that because it's, it's, it's your loved ones, it's your friends and family too, but there's only so much you can do, right? Yeah. I wanted to touch on the the concept of how when you're a disabled child how looked after you are and how you're given resources and tools but then I feel like the moment you turn 18 the moment you want to be part of society and and you know not be a burden on society I guess because you want to make your own money you want to do as much as you can for the world it's the rug is taken out from you so many funds and programs they stop at 18 and there's no mental health help for that either because that is such a traumatic thing to experience like you said gosh yeah I've been through it myself so I get it but it's the rush to get a diagnosis before you turn 18 that I relate to a lot too I know a lot of people may be like well you have a welfare system you you know have it better than most countries and I I hate that comparison as well it's like well I'm not comparing myself to any other country because I live in this country I am I I have the right to be here, you know, so I'm not going to feel grateful that I live in a country that has a welfare system, like just sod off. Mm -hmm. For me, you know, I was given indefinite DLA, so disability living allowance. And then of course, when that turned to PIP, then that got taken away from me. And even like now, you know, I'm still on a form of benefit. I still only work 16 hours a week, which is, you know, great for me as a freelancer, because it coincides with the freelancer life. But it also allows me to look after my, my, body a bit more and you know take time off and so forth but even that you know I'm on a form of benefit but I still have to pay close to 600 pound a month towards care you know mm-hmm. and this is why I hammer on so much about like how I hate inspiration porn and I know that is quite divisive as well because some disabled people might hate their disability body or identity and you know might have had an accident and now are a wheelchair user and all they dream of is not being a wheelchair user I am not disputing that but there's a lot of disabled people myself included that actually say well 
so toxic and it's so harmful to push disabled people into overcoming their barriers and disability even the language that we use you know like saying oh you're so brave you're so this well what if I don't want to be brave Mm -hmm. what if I want to say it's hard freaking work and I'm struggling and I'm doing my best in this situation but I don't think we're often afforded to do that so it's a real misconception I've come very close in recent years just to be like I would rather give it all up and just have an easy life and be on benefits. And people can't, when I say that, they don't believe me. I'm like, well, well, you tell me if getting up every day, not only thinking about physical and mental strain on your body, dealing with caregivers that don't really give a shit about you, dealing with a local authority that doesn't really give a shit about you, dealing with your working environment on the whole where you still have to constantly educate and train people would you not at times think do you know what I might as well just go on the doll um people do it absolutely yeah yeah one thing I will mention is that I'm very hard on calling benefits entitlements because it is an entitlement mm-hmm. as a disabled person living in the UK I am entitled to this I'm a citizen mm-hmm. obviously like I um, have pay tax before but even if I haven't paid tax before I'm entitled to it yeah the health of society is based on how we treat those who need entitlements most I think if people are calling us benefit frauds and benefit scammers it's a reflection on how society is right now and it's horrible and it's so stressful mm-hmm. to live in I completely agree because why are we why are we waking up every day to prove a point to make money and it's making money to survive for sure mm-hmm. but it is exhausting <laughs> It's, it's I can completely get it and uh, people see our achievements and everything but they don't see like the, the physical pain that goes alongside it because mm-hmm. it's painful <laughs> waking up every day too yeah I completely get it considering recent years where I think the disabled community's morale is at an all-time low I think seeing the world around us it's really hard to continue that motivation to like frankly give a shit about being a person mm-hmm. like just wanting to give in I also just wanted to mention because we we're talking about costs and I think it was scope's figure was for disabled people average life costs 583 pounds more for disabled mm-hmm. people monthly was that yeah and that's on yeah. average that's on that's like the baseline isn't it really and like I don't know about you but my uh, internal t- t- entitlements do not cover that so no. <laughs> it, and it's so hard so we really are working just to meet those extra costs every month and mm-hmm. it's exhausting do you have like a fluid experience with your disabled identity still or is it what do you think yeah I think um I I, I see my pre- campaigner life and my post campaigner life very differently and I don't know which one I prefer um so let me explain that like so before I became a trustee for the Brittle Bone Society and had my first I suppose um, experience of other disabled people on a on a on a level that was you know kind of a big level my life seemed simpler because I wouldn't challenge when I was discriminated against or faced ableism. I wasn't really aware of it, you know, uh, or if I did, it didn't it, it didn't feel like it impacted me or I didn't feel like I should be angry about things. So like, you know, if I were to go somewhere and the lift was broken, I'd be disappointed, but I'd just like go, well, let's go somewhere else. Um, whereas now I'm like, well, no, why is the lift broken? Rawr! And I, you know, like that. And, yeah. and I think... So my life is much more complicated now, but I think nothing in life worth having is easy. And you, you know, you, you know, I don't regret, I don't regret, you know, being more aware of what my rights are and what I should 
expect out of my life. I don't regret that. But when I have my moments of absolute exhaustion and having to justify my rights, then I do think back to my more kind of karma, ignorance. Ignorance is bliss. That's where that comes from. So it's difficult sometimes. I do kind of think, should I rein it in a little bit? Should I just be passive? But no, I think I'm too far gone now to be that person. Um, You mentioning that nothing worth having is easy. I mean, I wish it wasn't the case, but I feel like I'm also very passive when I, ex- in when I experience inaccessibility. Even though I'm very loud on social media, I am someone who sort of goes in on themselves, um, depending on who I'm with, obviously. But if I'm by myself, I think that's such a good little thing I'm going to hold in the back of my head now, where it's just like... Sam said nothing nothing <laughs> really is worth having now go and go and get that thing that you need no I, I think that's such good advice because even I need to hear it <laughs> so. yeah yeah I know look don't get me wrong I don't always you know depending on exactly like you mm-hmm. said depending on how I feel myself depending on how you know who I'm with or where I'm at then it de- you know that depends how, how how loudly I shout and but I definitely am proud of who I am now it's harder work but I'm definitely Mm -hmm. proud of of that the person I am because I even that five-year-old Samantha I and I write this in the book in my first opening chapter you know I knew I was going to be somebody I knew I was going to help shape the world in a positive way and um I need to bear that in mind every time that I feel deflated or I feel like you know it's just a lot to to take on one thing I will mention is that you can't shape the world in a positive way if you're not looking after yourself first Absolutely. and if you're not meeting your own needs. So just a note for you, but also anyone listening, because I know I need to hear it myself all the time. <laughs> How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I wanted to dive into accessibility and sort of the tools that you first used and how that made you feel. Like, have you used mobility aids and how do you feel about them now? So I think the biggest one for me was my complete rejection of um, a power wheelchair. So I am predominantly a manual chair user. And one of the reasons why I didn't for a very, very long time did not entertain having um, a power chair was because of the complete ignorance and response I would get from my non-disabled peers for me getting a power a power chair. So the response normally would be, 
all the time, all the time when I used to be in social settings, why haven't you got one of them power chairs? And it was, it was as though, it, going back to that comment that my friend made, you know, it was like, they used to go, surely if you've got a power chair, uh, it would be easier, like the world would become more accessible to you. And that used to drive me absolutely insane. And I was quite, I'm quite a stubborn person, something that I'm definitely kind of, you know, as I've gotten older, I'm less stubborn. But in my like late teens, early 20s, I was like, screw you, screw you for thinking that just because I get a power wheelchair, my life would be miraculously changed. And I used to say to them, like, particularly like my friends I used to go clubbing with, I said, Do you remember the other night when we went to X bar or whatever? And there was two steps and you picked up my manual chair with me in it and you got me up the two steps. I said, how would you think that would that scenario would play out in a two-ton fricking power chair? Like you, t- Absolutely. Like, tell, like, tell me. And they were like, oh, yeah, I never thought of that. And that's just, just to really, really infuriate me because, again, the underlying reason why people would say this to me was like, I don't really, I get a bit bored of having to think about your needs when we're out. I am get a bit like tired of having to push your wheelchair, you know? Mm-hmm. And so for a little, again, so I like shot myself in my own foot because, you know, I now have a power chair and I'm very lucky in the sense of I've got both so I can switch between the two. Both of them have pros and cons. Is my life easier in some areas? Yes. But has it solved all the barriers that I face as a physically disabled woman? Absolutely bloody not. Sometimes, actually, when I'm out and about in my power chair, there are things that I totally can't do. Even simple things like I can't actually reach the bag that's on the back of my my power chair. So when I'm out and about, I have to ask everyone, you know, and, and be that vulnerable to get things out of my bag or put, put shopping in my bag. And mm-hmm. in some ways, that actually is a step backwards in my kind of autonomy i completely agree i think also the way that they're talking about why haven't you got an electric wheelchair like it doesn't cost more than a luxury car to have one yeah speaks volumes because the nhs isn't just giving them out <laughs> like yeah. have a chair have a chair you know um gosh that's so frustrating you mentioned your bag which i i studied adaptive fashion when i was at university and when mm. you made your accessible bag I loved it. I don't know how accessible you found it personally, but I was wondering if you would want to touch on that briefly because I thought it was so cool. Yeah, so I actually collaborated with a company called Mia Tui and they they had a bag that was primarily, I think, designed for push chairs. So they had like a bag that had um, clips on so that you could hang over you know, a push chair. And it could also be used for a manual chair. And they sent me, they said, would you like to have a free sample? So they sent me one of the bags and I just messaged them back and I said, I think it's great. I think that's wonderful that you're thinking about, you know, the purple pound, so on and so on. Um, But I could absolutely, you know, collab with you and make a few more tweaks thinking about the what other reasonable adjustments I suppose could be made on the bag to assist my other fellow um, deaf, disabled and neurodivergent individuals and friends. So we kind of collaborated together to create the Samantha bag. So the, and then the thing was, the, the, what I liked about it was, it was, you know, if I hadn't have introduced the bag as a bag designed for disabled people, you would never have known the difference. Like, you know, you wouldn't have known the difference. And I think that is mm-hmm. something that I talk a lot about with my when I do consultancy, you know, it's like if you create a more inclusive world, it's not just benefiting a small number of individuals, it benefits the wider society. That's what I wanted the Samantha bag to be. Now, I think the problem is when you do a collaboration like that, 
with a company that's already established, you can have your own input to a certain degree, but you know, I can't expect a company to, to invest so much in creating X, Y, and Z. So I think it was a learning curve for me working with a company like that. Probably wasn't the best learning curve because we didn't actually have a proper contract. So I didn't actually gain anything from it other than having my name on a bag. And that's fine. You know, you, you, you learn as you go along. But I, it was great because it made me think about other needs and other disabled people, you know, and not just my own needs and what would be practical for me as a as a wheelchair user. So it was a great launch pad into the world of fashion. That fashion has been played a really positive part of my life. And also I think having a body that is visibly different, I love the fact that I know my body really, really well and the way that I've I suppose got body positivity is through fashion because obviously not everything's going to fit me and I can't be in denial about that like that you know I've got a curved spine so I can't wear things with zips I can't you know so how for me coming to terms with my body and my scars and my curved bones and my short stature fashion was a way of me not hiding away from my body being like okay this is the body I've got I love fashion so what am I going to do about it I am going to look in the mirror I'm going to look when I'm naked and I'm going to be like look okay that shoulder's lower than that shoulder that I'm shorter than that sh-, you know fashion made me fall in love with my body so I, working with uh, Mia Tuya on the Samantha bag was just a really nice a nice way to kind of do a nod towards my relationship with the with the fashion world, I suppose. Definitely. And I think it was really important at the time, uh, giving accessible fashion, adaptive fashion. This was, I think, 2018, 2019. Um, mm-hmm. it, it really was crickets out there. It's, it's obviously improved a lot now. But back then, oh my gosh, there was nothing. And it really it just goes to show that the small steps, they mean a lot. I mean, it doesn't mm-hmm. solve every issue ever. And I think most accessibility never will. But it, at the time, I think it was such a good springboard for not just you, but many other fashion designers who wanted to go into accessible design. So I really admire it and I, I love your work. I, I'm glad you did. And also relate so hard to the using fashion to love your body. I mm-hmm. think there's it's taking ownership of your body when it's being medicalized so much. From what we've talked about, it sounds like your journey of accepting access tools and mobility aids was more about the people around you accepting it. A lot of my success has been attributed to wanting to prove the world wrong. And I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing because it really drove me to kind of be like, screw you, I can do it. But like I said earlier, I've now come to a place where I'm like, I'm tired of being that Samantha. Like that Samantha can be brought out now and again. But, you know, she's not good for the soul because she will do things constantly at the mercy of what other people want or expect or, you know, think about me. But I think, you know, I I really have relinquished in the past few years that pressure on myself. And I've just been a bit like, do you know what? If I want to have a power wheelchair, even though people are still ignorant towards it, you know, I'll get a power wheelchair mm-hmm. or I've been given the opportunity to get a power wheelchair. So I'll take it. Even with like having a caregiver, I don't know, I don't like that word I call PA. You know, even that, that was like a big step for me. Even if you don't get the right support, I still see a positive correlation between my ability to work more. Like my, my company and my work side of things 
have definitely improved since I've said, look, yes, I will get a PA, you know? Yeah. So, and for a long time, I didn't want to receive that help because I didn't want to project onto the world a Samantha that was incapable or perhaps fed into a stereotypical disabled person that was very vulnerable and needed so much support. And a lot of, a lot of my decisions went down to, you know, I wanted to have a boyfriend and I want, and I thought that if, you know, if I became mm-hmm. more non-disabled, whatever that even means, I know it's, it all sounds stupid now, doesn't it? But at the time it was very real and it was very, you know, important to me. But I did a lot of it and I sacrificed a lot and I struggled a lot and I suffered in silence a lot because I was like, oh, I want to, you know, I want a boyfriend. And if I acted a certain way, then I'd be more appealing and the thing is I still am I'm still struggling dating I still get a lot of rejection and a lot of like douchebags I think I don't know who it was there was a young Instagrammer forgive me I don't know her name but she posted the other day and and she really resonated with me because she went she went no matter how I dress or how I do my hair or whatever people are still going to unfortunately see my disability over everything and I just sat there even though I'm I must be at least 10 years older than her and I was like wow wish I kind of had the epiphany at her age because it's true like a lot of the things that I've done like saying yes to stuff like me wanting to be on TV if I'm completely honest it was predominantly because I was like I wanted to be more sexy I wanted guys to find me more attractive and find me more appealing because I was successful and actually it's gone the other way because a lot of guys are threatened by an independent woman so there you go the irony there at the heart of it yes I am a performer I am a people person I like people and I like communicating and I like being on stage but I am most happy when I'm sat at home watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer eating pasta I relate so hard I think that journey of like growing up as a disabled child and then the response to that is just hyper independence like hyper Mm. proving your point hyper like oh I'm not like that like going against like almost like falling into the trap of like Mm -hmm. not being yourself to prove to others that you are not disabled and it's just Oh, it's such a spiral. And going back on your point of like, oh, I wish I learned that when I was younger. I, I feel like we, I mean, I'm a bit younger than you. We didn't have that luxury of social media almost like guiding no, us as much, no, I feel like, true. when we were younger. And it was easier to sort of fall into those traps when you're a lot more isolated. And mm-hmm. it is hard when you're surrounded people who don't get it as well. And you can't share ideas like how we're sharing ideas now. It's just so hard. <laughs> In five years' time, what would you want a more accessible and inclusive society and mindset of individuals to look like? I would like to see more non-disabled people acknowledging their able and abled privilege and not, and I always say, like, leaving their ego at the door. I think ego gets in the way of a lot of things, not just to do with disability, just no one likes to be told that they are not doing the right thing and um, I want people to appreciate that when disabled people actually say this is not right like you know the, the at the moment you know a lot of activists are very vocal on flying and the fact that you can't fly independently and so forth and um, a lot of non-disabled people just don't see that as 
a privilege. Um, so I guess enable privilege. Yeah, that's what I would like. Yeah. No, that makes perfect sense. They just don't understand. They're like, oh, you don't need to fly anyway. You're mm-hmm. disabled. Why do you need to fly? That kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. So on to closings and takeaways. The two closing thoughts that I wanted to ask you was what would you be your message for disabled listeners and what would be your message for non-disabled listeners who want to learn more? To my non-disabled listeners, leave your ego at the door and understand that, you know, allyship is is a journey, not a destination. And I suppose to my disabled friends, recognise that we all have privilege even if we have a disability. And I would like my disabled friends to perhaps you know not to not to dispute that we all have our barriers but actually to be be the voice for other disabled people a little bit more that's what I would love to see like so when whenever I'm talking to broadcasters and whenever I'm like you know talking about inclusion on television I do challenge the people in you know it might not people might not be aware because I do a lot of things behind the scene but you know I I say to them, but, you know, where are my blind presenters? Where are my presenters with feeding tubes? Disability is not just, you know, the pretty versions of disability. So so I would want my disabled peers, and I know we're already expected to do a lot, but it would be great just to acknowledge that the barriers we all face are very different. And perhaps if we're not vocal on it, we're doing a dis service to other disabled people no I love that I completely agree I feel like it's all the same battle that we're fighting and it's just looking out for each other is so so important um thank you Samantha I really really appreciate it I will let you go so Lola can be tended to (laughs) she seems adorable (laughs) thank you for having me absolutely like it's kind of like a um what's it called a full circle moment to have you here where like you're on the start of my journey and now you sort of thank you and i hope you uh find yourself a bit more over the next few years because i know that pain yeah and Um, but it's a nice journey to be on and i i i'm very grateful and i recognize my own privilege in the sense that i am getting external help so it's a, a nice place to be in thank you for listening And do check out Sam's book. You are the best thing since sliced bread. Call Me Disabled. Produced by me, Poppy Field, and Eliza Lomas. Sound design by Al Chant. Illustration by Hattie Agarup. A collaboration with Acast Amplifier, CC Co and Crack Magazine. up to date with the next episode of call me disabled by following our instagram twitter tiktok and find us at callmedisabled.com
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.